0: Well good morning again everyone and welcome. My name is Amanda Neppel and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Hope Des Moines and again I want to welcome you here to service today. Um, It's no accident that you're here because God is up to amazing and powerful things and moves ahead of us and through us and behind us and all around us and we don't often understand why or how but we just say thank you Jesus and so because of that I'm glad you're here today. Welcome particularly to all the dads as we celebrate Father's Day. Dads, husbands, uncles, uh, grandpas, All of the men who are here in this church today. We love you. We're glad that you're here. And thank you uh, for all that you do and for uh, all the ways that you care for us. We thank you. So um, we are continuing our sermon series today called Songs for the Summer. And appropriately today, by the time we land this thing, we're going to be at, uh, we're going to sing Good, Good Father here at the end of the service today. And so I want to just begin by acknowledging that uh, Father's Day, like any holiday, can certainly be a bittersweet day uh, for many of us and there are a lot of different reasons for why and how that can be true. So I want to acknowledge that and I want to tell you that you're not alone if this is, a, is, this is a challenging day for you. And I also want to talk a little bit about how this idea, this truth of God as our perfect heavenly father, this can be a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around as well. And I think that Um, regardless of the way that we grew up, regardless of how we approach Jesus, regardless of what has happened in our lives, I think that because of our understanding of the human relationship of father and child, I think it's part of every Christian's journey and part of every Christian's walk with Jesus that we kind of have to wrestle through this idea of God as our perfect heavenly father. Part of that is because our language just can't quite do it justice and and, be, and the reason for that is because God is so much bigger than our human understanding. We have our, our words and our human understanding of that relationship, but God just completely is so much greater than that. I like to think of it that you know our understanding of of God really. If you're thinking about the entire universe, all of our understanding compared to God's can probably fit in a little grain of sand, right? And so we have to kind of keep our perspective in that God's father role is so much far beyond what we can what we can comprehend. And so we have to kind of approach that relationship and approach God then with a good dose of humility, understanding our relationship and how we fit into God's scheme of things. So we approach that relationship with humility and I think that it's also helpful then when we hear a story like we heard today, the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, to approach that story with a good dose of humility as well because I'm guessing that, I'm hopeful that there are some of you here today who've never heard that story before of the prodigal son and I'm so glad that you're here And then I'm also guessing that there are some of you who know that story pretty well. You've heard it more than once. You could probably tell it backwards and forwards and diagonal backwards and all that kind of stuff because you've heard it so many times. So as we approach our understanding of God as Father with humility, I also hope that we approach the Scriptures with humility, particularly for these stories that we've heard so many times. And to allow God to breathe kind of a fresh word into us today through his word. Because that's what the Bible does. It breathes new life into us. Even in these uh, stories and parables that we've heard so many times. So if you have your Bibles, take a look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to be hanging out there today uh, for a while. Uh, Luke chapter 15 actually starts off with there are three parables here and the story of the prodigal son is actually the third of the three and Jesus um, sets the scene here Luke sets the scene as he tells us about these events Jesus was preaching and he was teaching and there were two different groups of people that that Luke wants us to know that Jesus was preaching to on the one hand you've got your notorious sinners and your tax collectors okay all kind of fall under the notorious sinners category you've got them and then over on the other side you've got your Pharisees and your religious leaders who from their perspective were pretty you know awesome and from Jesus perspective they had a few things to figure out but at any rate these two groups of people the notorious sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees didn't have a whole lot in common and Jesus is teaching to these two groups if you can imagine for a moment if you threw a dinner party for example and maybe you invited on the one hand you invited some of your vegan friends and then maybe on the other hand you invited some of your cattle farmer friends, like I don't know. But anyway, you'd have to make an awful lot of food and you'd have to expect that there's going to be some dissension then between these two groups of people and that's what's going on here um, when Jesus is telling these parables. And so he starts out, the first couple things he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about a lost sheep, and he's going to talk about a lost coin. And in the story of the lost sheep, there's a a shepherd, and there are 99 sheep who are doing what they are designed to do. They are staying together in this pack, and the shepherd realizes that one of them is gone. And when we hear this story, we hear how the shepherd went off then to find that one that was lost, and we're thinking, well, common sense tells you that, yeah, that's too bad that sheep got lost, but you're not going to risk the 99 to go off and find that one. That math doesn't work out, right? And I have to admit, it was pretty recently, like, I don't know, last week, when it occurred to me that that's the entire point, right? That the grace that holds us together means that, yes, you go off and find that lost one, and in our understanding, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the point. So the shepherd goes off, and he goes after this lost sheep, and when he finds the sheep, he looks high and low, and when he finds it, he doesn't give this lost sheep a stern lecture or hold him accountable for the time that he spent looking for it. Instead, he picks it up tenderly, and he puts it on his shoulders and carries it back to the ninety-nine. And when he returns, then he celebrates, and he tells everyone, hey, guys, I had this lost sheep, and I found it. And Jesus says, yeah, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven celebrates when even one sinner turns around and is found. And Jesus goes on to then tell about the woman who lost a coin. And she searches high and low for it. She gets out her broom. She lights a lamp. She does everything that she can to find this lost coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates And so when we hear these two parables, we have a couple things in common. There's a relentless search. There's the one looking for what is lost, not giving up. There's this kind of equation that doesn't make sense to us really. Um, And then there's a celebration when what is lost is found. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When one lost person is found, the entire kingdom of heaven rejoices. Now, this would have been kind of annoying news, honestly, to the Pharisees who were sitting there. They weren't particularly prone to celebrating anything, um, but Jesus is saying, you might need to rearrange how you see the kingdom of heaven. They had a pretty strict interpretation of it. So Jesus tells those two stories, but the thing is, Jesus isn't quite done yet because what Jesus wants to do then is give us a picture of the Father that Jesus knows. He wants to give us a a bigger picture of the one who is doing the searching and the one who is there uh, when we come home. And so he continues then with this story of the prodigal son. And so in Luke chapter 15, uh, by verse 12, the son has said to his father, you know what? Uh, This life that you've built for me, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, I really can't stand you. I really can't stand my brother. I really can't stand the idea of being here for one more minute. So dad, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to ask you to divide up our inheritance and you give me mine and I'll take off and we can just pretend that the last 18 years have never happened, okay? More or less. And the father doesn't go through and list off he doesn't. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't uh, talk about how insulting this is. We have to kind of keep in mind what it would have been like to hear this story in that culture, in that time, in the first century, because of the way that the, fa- the Excuse me. The way the son had shamed the father, the father would have had every right to to ask that his son be killed then by the people in the community because what he had done was so shameful. And so the humiliation that the father suffered at the hands of his son, it was really something that is, uh, it, was, it was awful. It, it, it was uh, unheard of. It was, it was unconscionable. Everyone in the community would have um, also rejected the son for what he had done to his dad. But the dad doesn't argue. The dad doesn't put up a fight. The dad lets the son go and do what he thinks wants to do so that's what he does the sun leaves and he takes off and uh, we know that the sun does quite a bit of celebrating of his own and but the kind of celebrating that the sun does is the kind that actually steals life it's the kind that uh, leads to the emptiness and brokenness that we all know that it's going to lead to but at the time it sounds so enticing and so the celebrating that the sun has done is the kind that actually steals our joy and steals our life and eventually he keeps that long enough and he has then literally literally nothing left his money is gone he he is completely undone and he then goes to get a job and he gets a job feeding pigs now we hear that and we think yeah that's gross but if we think about it as a first century Jewish person hearing this story there was nothing there was nothing more degradating that this young man could have done than get a job feeding pigs. They were reviled, filthy, unclean animals. Even the tax collectors and notorious sinners who heard this story would have said, wow, that's pretty bad. There was nothing else that that young man could have done to emphasize how low he had actually fallen. And Jesus points that out. He knew that everyone understood that. And the other thing that Jesus does that I want you to kind of hang on to in your thoughts for a second is Jesus highlights how this young man was so hungry, he would have taken, he was jealous of the pig's food. He would have taken their food. But yet no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. I want you to hold on to that in the back of your mind a little bit, especially later when we talk about the father's reaction to the son. He was completely stripped of everything that he had and everything that he was. And it was there where it seemed as though things could not possibly get any worse for this man that actually our story starts to take a little bit of a turn because it's here that this young man remembers something that he knows about his father. In very practical terms, he knows that his father's servants are way better off than he is. He knows they don't have to mess around with the pigs. He knows they have more than they need. They're not hungry. They're not desperate. So in practical terms, he knows some practical things about his father. But there's something else that this young man knows deep down. And he knows what kind of man his father is. And when he realizes and thinks about what kind of a person his dad actually is, he realizes there's a shot, there's a chance that if he goes back and begs, his dad might take him back. He knows something about his father once everything else has been stripped away. He knows something that he didn't know when he thought he had it all together. When everything else is gone, he knows what kind of man his dad is. He knows that maybe he has a shot. So a few weeks ago, um, uh, the last time I was able to give the message, one of the things I said in the middle of all of the words was that what we believe in the core of who we are drives our behavior. So what we believe about our Father in heaven, what we believe about uh, what that means for us, influences everything that we do. And what this son realized at that moment when everything else was gone, that in his core he believed that his father might take him back. And because he believed that he might have a shot with his dad, it gave him the courage to go home. And so the thing that I want to ask you uh, today as we're here, in the core of, of who you are, in the core of your being, what do you believe about how your heavenly father feels about you? In Romans 8:38 and 39, uh, Paul writes that he believes and he knows that there is nothing that can separate us from the love that our Father has for us, nothing. There is no power, f- not from anyone, not from anyone, anything anyone says about us, anything that we believe about ourselves. There is not a power in hell that is strong enough to separate us from the love that our Father has for us when we believe that, it can give us the courage to go home as well. It gives us an idea of the kind of heavenly father that we have and it, it reminds us of who we are in our relationship with God. God call, calls us and draws us close and asks us to rest in that truth that nothing can separate us because everything that's going on in the world is so noisy and so loud and we have certainly seen this week how the darkness can be very, very real and very overwhelming. Maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe there's something that you've done that you think has separated you from God. Honestly, maybe it's the annoyances and the things that just get at us day in and day out in the lives that we lead in the world. Those things are persistent and they get in there and they have, if we allow them to, because we don't rest in Jesus, they have the ability to make us think that we are separated and that we cannot go home. But that's not what God wants for us. God wants to call those lies out for what they are. And God wants us to be reminded that nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. The fact that our human relationships can be a detriment to those things also reminds us that our human relationships can actually help restore those beliefs in us. They can give us that encouragement that we need. As you saw in that video, the dad giving the message over and over, you got this. I hope hope that you had a dad or had someone in your life who reminded you that you could could do the hard things, that, that you could do it, that you got it. But even if you didn't, I hope that there was someone in your life who was able to do that for you. And I hope that if you're not quite there yet, that you look around your church family and you realize that there are people here who want to help you understand that there's nothing that you can do to separate you from the love that God has for you And some of you are ready to go out in the community and be that for another person, and some of you are working on it. You're here today, and I'm so glad that you're here today to help encourage yourself and give you that belief that nothing can separate you, that you got this, and to give you the ability to be able to do that for someone else. Um, I want to invite my friend uh, Luis Arredondo, up here to join me and uh, Luis is um, someone that I think you're really going to want to get to know. He um, works here at Hope, uh, here in Hope Des Moines and here in West, um, here at Hope Des Moines and also out in West Des Moines uh, working with issues of culture and diversity and inclusion and just including and and educating folks about what's going on in our city and so uh, join me in saying thank you and hello to Luis.
1: Thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Luis, and I've been at Hope for about a year and a half. Uh, the last 10 years, my wife and family moved from Chicago, from inner, inner city Chicago, to move to the beautiful DeMont, Iowa. <laughs> yes. um, and what I want to talk to you about today is uh, about our stories, that mm-hmm. God is writing a story for each one of our lives. And some of us are in the beginning, in the middle, at the end, some of us are in the trials, some are in the joyful things in life, but all, all of us, God is writing a story. The story for people around us to see and to glorify God. For, for people around us to read, to see, and be like, man, God is working in this person's life. So that's what I'm, uh, I wanna share with you today. Um, kinda like my story, about my, the, the lack of a father figure, um, the story of the city, of our city, that a lot of the problems uh, stem from a lack of father figures, and how we can be uh, part of the answer of, of what God, how God wants to touch the city. So, um, yeah, so I've been working here for about a year, and now I'm transitioning to be more in the city. So the last couple of months uh, I'm starting to get involved with East High School. So if there's any East High School students, I'm not sure. Roosevelt, right? Oh, Hoover. Hoover's cooler. I forgot. <laughs> that kind of rhymes. Um, I'm at Broadlands, uh with FCA and things like that. So uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I'm not from around here. I was born and raised in Mexico, believe it or not. When I was a month old, my parents sent me to live with my grandmother 13 hours away. So um, I did have a lot of people around me, but I didn't necessarily have a father that would be like, hey, brush your teeth. Hey, uh, go to sleep instead of uh, being out with my friends playing football, soccer all night. Um, and like me, I think a lot of you had role models growing up, right? People that you look, look up to, maybe your older brother, your older cousin, maybe somebody in the school that looked cooler, or, or, or I don't know, people liked them. Or We all had role models, right? You guys remember? Can you have that picture in your head? Uh, so one of my role models was my cousin Fernando. He's about four years older than me. Um, and I always wa- wanted to follow him around and do whatever he was doing. Um, one of those things was he would, when we were, uh, I was 13, so he was like 17, we went to, to, to like a beach uh, a few hours away and they gave me a fake ID. So I was, when I was 13, I was actually 21. <laughs> Which is like, but we had a little, believe it or not, people from Mexico have their little stash <laughs> early on, right? Is that true? So I already had a little stash going on. So, um, so anyway, my role model were those people that that uh, told me that drinking was was good and drinking the the people the men that can handle their liquor were were the man. So when I was in third grade, uh, my cousin and I broke our piggy banks, and I was telling this in the in the last in the last service. Who has gone to Mexico? Not not Cancun, but like to rural Mexico. Has anybody been in Mexico? Like all right. So if you notice, sometimes uh, every three or four blocks, there's a, there's a church, there's a right Catholic church, there's a place where they make tortillas, where you can make fresh tortillas, which are awesome, I think. And then there's a place where you can buy beer. Yes. So my cousin and I went and bought a beer, third graders, got caught, was grounded for like a month. But I just thought it was so cool to drink beer. And obviously it's not that grade for a third grader to be drinking beer so my point is that we all have role models they can be good or bad mm-hmm. but we all have a, 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 a kind of like shape in the heart that we want to look after somebody and and what i want to tell you is that god changed my life when positive role models came into my life and they didn't they were not uh, superman or they were not like uh, mother teresa but they were just people that loved me and that told me, Luis, you have a purpose in life. God loves you. And I never heard that before. I never had somebody to sit with me and just hear my stories. Later in life, I, I, I lived with my dad for a few years, and the only conversation that we would have is he would tell me what to do. That was the extent of my, my interaction with him. So what I want to say is that this man that, that poured into my life was my, my high school English teacher. And I used to talk to him, and he's an amazing man of God. But he, he told me things that, uh, that I never heard before. So anyway, my life has changed. And, and what does that have to do with Father's Day? So happy Father's Day. Our, our, city, our city is a city that uh, there's a lack of father figures. If anybody knows... Uh, people, kids in the inner city, in the urban core. Basically, the urban core is two, north of 235, 63rd this way, and like East Des Moines, south of Hickman. That's where a lot of the of the new immigrants come into their city. Uh, and not that not that they have bad fathers a lot of times. Uh, well, sometimes they do, but sometimes is is that parents that come to this new country have to work two jobs. So if anybody's in the in the public schools, will know that a lot of the parents are absent parents. Not sometimes not because they're they're they just don't want to be there, but because they have different jobs. So I know a couple kids from Edmonds here, just people that you guys work on Thursday nights. And who's who's involved in Thursday nights here? Okay, so Thursday nights I'm teaching English. I can never come here on Thursday nights, but these kids that come from Edmonds um, are so shapeable, are so willing, wanting to. Have attention from from older people. So this is an amazing way, and there's so many amazing ways in the city that we can take an hour a week, a, uh, an hour a month, where you can just tell a child, I, "I love you and I believe in you," and that will make an impact like it was made to me. So I, today, I really want to encourage you um, just to know that we live in this in this city, and the the way that I was explaining to the last mm-hmm. to the last. Uh, couple of services is that it's kinda of like the donut. Has anybody heard of donut syndrome for a city? Not the donuts that you buy at Crispy <laughs> Duncan. Dunkin. Donuts or, Duncan donuts are not those donuts, which are good. Mm. I'm not saying they're bad. But the, the donut <laughs> the donut syndrome in the cities, you know there's a circle. Okay, I'm getting hungry. I haven't even <laughs> had any breakfast. And there's a circle in the middle, right? So it's like everybody is leaving the circle, the inner circle and going to the suburbs. Better schools uh, nicer neighborhoods, safer neighborhoods, and a lot of people are doing that. And, and what it's creating is, a, not, have you done that? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm just painting a picture of the, the reality of a city, that a lot of cities, there's a, there's just a vacuum that people are leaving, and it's leaving all the, the poor, all the, all the needs in the city, and the good fathers, the good families are moving out of the city. So it's creating more and more um, problems. So that's, that's the reality of our city. So what does that have to do with us? So if, if you're like me or not like me, um, I had a broken family. Uh, I felt abandoned. I got kicked out of my parents when I was 17. I had a lot of um, mis- things, not to make you feel for it, sorry for me, but what I want to make you feel is that God can take anybody's life, no matter what your background is, No matter who was your mentor, who you looked up to, but he can take our lives and make an impact in this city. And I know some of you, are even where you are, your kids' friends, um, kids in your neighborhood, or kids in the neighborhood just need somebody to say, sometimes, hey, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. Or come Mm -hmm. on over for dinner. Come and and just listen to them and love them. That's what the city needs if you live in the city. Um, so i I love to talk to everybody after the service if you like to i'll I'll give you my contact information and and i can i don't want to just say go here or there but i think it's a matter of of uh a willing hearts because it's not so much your background but your identity if you find your identity in jesus that is going to make a huge impact in the city so my prayer my prayer for for this congregation today is that in a few years, two or three years, uh, one of you guys will, on Father's Day, will come up here instead of me and say, um, God changed my life, and now I'm able to give to those who do not have as much as I did, and, and that I made an impact in somebody's life. And then a little kid can share their story of how you impacted their lives. Uh, That'll be the most amazing, one of the most amazing stories of how God writes your story to impact your city, your community. Um, so yeah, thank you yeah. For, for letting me share this morning. Thank you, um, Luis.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Luis does work with LSI and serving the refugee community, as well as uh, with some of the teenagers in different high schools and things, and so um, please, I encourage you to chat with him after the service and hear about some of the things that are going on. Um, He's a wealth of information, so I always learn something new every time I chat with him, so thank you. Um, As you heard Luis say, it is so often the time that we give, right? I mean, so much more often even than the words that we say, it's the time that we give because when we show up, the person that we're talking to knows instinctively that there are an infinite number of other things that we could have been doing, but we are there and we are present and we are communicating with them. I, um, I remember my Sunday school teachers, I remember my VBS teachers, and I don't know what they said but I remember that they were there, I remember that they demonstrated love, I remember the people who learned my name and talked with me and asked me how my week was going. Uh, those things matter. Those. Uh, those positive voices matter and they're so necessary because the negative voices and the junk that we see around us can be so persistent. So every positive voice contributes to who we are and matters in what we're doing. If you're sitting here today and if you're realizing uh, that these words of Romans 8:38 and 39, if you're realizing that they are not necessarily true to you right now, that in too many ways they're just simply words, but if you're realizing that this idea that absolutely nothing can separate you from the love that Jesus has for you, I wanna give you some encouragement and I wanna say that there is an answer for you and it's found here in these words that Jesus says through this parable in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus tells the story, it tells us then that even if we are not fully there yet, the point to remember is that we can go home. You can go home. Because of who the father is, you can repent and turn around and meet this father who is running towards you at full speed to embrace you. When Jesus told this story about the father running to meet his son, we need to understand that in that uh, culture, in that day, for this patriarch, for this well-respected man to be running, there's no reason that he would have been doing that unless a bear was chasing him okay? Well-respected men in that culture did not and do not run. When's the last time you saw President Obama run anywhere, right? Like you just, well-respected men in that, particularly in that culture, and even if you think about it in ours as well, there's no need to run. But the father that Jesus knows, the God that Jesus knows, runs to meet his lost kids, The father that Jesus knows doesn't care about propriety. The father that Jesus knows runs to meet us. And when you hear that story, when you hear how uh, the the father ran to meet the son and he embraced his son, and then the son was getting ready to tell him his speech because he'd worked on it right the whole way back to his father's home he'd been working on how he was going to say this so he started to spit out the words like i'm trying to dad can i come back and i'll be a servant and the dad's like no he just shuts him down immediately right and so the the father says then to the servants quick go into the house and get the best robe for my son whose robe do you think was the best robe It was the dad's. It was his own robe. He said, quick, go into the house and bring out the best robe and put it around my son. And so when the son received this robe, he knew immediately that he had been restored back into the family. And then the dad says, go into the house and get a ring and get it for my son's finger and put it on his finger. And then when the son received this ring, then he knew that not only was he restored within his family, but he was restored within the community as well. When he went out into the town where people were going to be gossiping about him, oh, did you see he's back? He knew that everyone was going to see this ring and they were going to know publicly that he was restored back into his family. And then the father calls out for sandals and he says, quick, go get some sandals and put them on my son's feet. And the son knew then, not only was he restored back into his family and not only was he restored publicly into the community, he was never going to have the physical needs that he'd had when he he was starving and when he was jealous of the pigs, his father completely redeemed him in those moments, personally and publicly and then met his physical needs. And then what does the father do? <clears throat> he throws a party. And not just a little party they've been fattening a calf for just such an experience as this and so they call and and they they bring in the calf and they throw a giant shindig right and it's awesome and everyone who's there is celebrating except for the problem is even as as uh the pharisees are hearing this story they're getting a little bit crabby about this warm fuzzy story right and so jesus then in the next part of this parable turns his attention to them And we all find ourselves in this position sometimes because the older brother, if you remember, the older brother is not celebrating at all. When he comes back and he hears about this party, he is not pleased in the least. And the older brother is, in fact, just as much in need of grace As the younger brother, but the older brother might even be in worse shape because the problem is he doesn't even realize how lost he is. He doesn't realize that the same grace that brought his brother home is actually what keeps him in his father's love. The brother thinks that he has done everything his whole life to earn his position to earn this love. And so the kind of equation that he understands is, hey, younger brother, when you leave and you burn every bridge behind you, you can't go back home again. But the father is saying, actually, that's not how this math works out. And the older brother is so hurt and jealous and resentful that he separates himself from his family, not because anyone asked him to, but because he is allowing this hurt to keep him from the love that his father has for him. The older brother can't even call this young man his brother. When his father says, We had to celebrate, your brother came home. The, the older one says, No, your son made a mess of everything. And the father says, No, no, please, we had to celebrate because this brother was lost and now he's found. The older brother is just as broken, but he can't, he can't see it because he's comparing himself to his little brother. And the comparison game will steal your joy and your life every single time. So that's why both parts of this parable are equally important, both parts. And at different times in our lives, lives, we find ourselves as both the older brother and the younger brother if we're honest many of us have been in both places and so regardless of who you identify with today if you identify strongly with the prodigal who who was stripped of everything and found his way home or if honestly you're in your heart you're identifying more with the older brother who thinks that They should be, we deserve something because we've earned it. I want to encourage you and I want to just remind you that the Father's love is beyond anything that we can fathom. That's what makes grace so scandalous. That's why in God's equation it makes sense to leave the 99 and go look for the one because the grace that brings the one home is also the grace that keeps the 99 grace is completely unfair. (laughs) It is completely unfair. And we don't think about it that way a lot of times because when we think about things that are unfair, we usually only notice it when it's working against us, when we receive the unfair portion. But in this case, in the case of grace, it works out in our favor every time. And the one who received the unfair portion was Jesus. If Jesus had taken the position of the older brother, we would be a disaster. We would be helpless and hopeless. But Jesus did not. Philippians 2, that Jesus, even though he was equal with God, he did not consider that equality with God something to cling to. And he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave, even to the point of death on a cross. And because Jesus did that, and because that was part of God's plan from the very beginning that Jesus would be be our savior. This is how we can celebrate that God is a good, good father because of his plan for our salvation the entire time. We can rest in that and we can see that God is a good father who loves us. And because of what God has done for us, our identity is no longer in any of the things that threaten to separate us. Any of the things that threaten to separate us from the love of God, those are not our identity. Our identity, because of what Jesus has done, is a loved child of God. I am loved by you. It's who I am. It's not part of who I am. It becomes who we are. So when we rest in that identity that who we are is a loved child of God, then none of the other things that we want it to mean, they they don't matter. So we're no longer male or female. We're no longer uh, rich or poor. We're no longer gay or straight. We are a loved child of God and that is where we find our identity because we have a good and perfect Father. We're going to sing that song now, and so I'm going to encourage you to stand. And I invite you to just consider the words of this song, You are a good father, and I am loved by you. It's who I am. Nothing can change that. So I hope that you rest in that. I hope that you make this your prayer here for the next few minutes, that because God is a good, good father, a perfect father, that our identity is now loved, loved by God. Let's sing.